This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger's been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anything about English football. I'm so happy, believe me. I'm so happy. Happy New Year. Con Giovanni, incredible. Dribble, 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 dribble. It's the history of the Tottenham. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. On Saturday, The Athletic reported that Harry Kane is looking to move away from Tottenham in the summer. The Englishman turns 28 in July, but for all his goals, he has yet to win a single trophy with Spurs. Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host, Second Heart, and joining me is Andrew Conway. Hello, Declan. Andrew, where will Kane be playing football next season? Well, according to the rumours, uh, the earliest rumours uh, that The Athletic have been reporting on, he won't be playing in England next season because Daniel Levy will not sell him to any English club. And uh, so I think that greatly limits where he can go. And, and the only clubs, I think, with the, the, the money that, that has been mooted, about £120 million, which I, I could see being reduced a little bit, are the likes of Paris Saint-Germain, maybe one of the Italian clubs, like maybe Juventus, if they manage to offload Cristiano Ronaldo and a fair part of their other, the rest of their squad. Yeah, so one of, one of those, if he's, not, if, he, if he's not allowed to go to another English club. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, obviously every few years it feels like Tottenham generally end up selling one of their top players. And in the past, like, Gareth Bale went to Real Madrid, but they've sold Dimitar Berbatov to Man United. They sold Kyle Walker to Man City. So it's interesting that like they obviously have a line with which maybe you're too good to be able to sell to a, uh, an English club. Even Luka Modric went to Real Madrid, didn't go to Chelsea. Um, so they, they need to reach a threshold for greatness before they can, uh, uh, otherwise they can be sold to a domestic team, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, like 120 million for a 28 year old, even if Harry Kane is as good as he is, that's a lot of money. Uh, and you know we've talked a lot recently about how these clubs don't really have a lot of money. No, so they don't. The only clubs that kind of do have that money to pay that right now are, I suppose, PSG. Uh, we go outside England. I think PSG is likeliest destination there, especially with the Pochettino connection. Um, but that I suppose also depends on what happens with Mbappe and Neymar. I don't know. Can they like? Obviously, they can afford to pay all three ways. They can. But I don't know if they optically want to do that. Um, well, Mauro Icardi is still there, you know. That's the kind of that's the role you're looking to fill. Um, so if they, could, well, I think Spurs trade. would probably take it. I don't know if Mauro Icardi is the consistent player that Spurs maybe need um, to replace him. But like I, I say, you know, all of this is with a pinch of salt. We don't know what will happen for definite. I, I think he will go to another English club if a deal can be struck, because mm. if he refuses to play or if he forces an exit which a player can do we only need to think back to Robbie Savage and his blog post about how how to engineer a move away from a club but any player can do that and I think Harry Kane is well within his rights to do it at this point he's done what he can do for Spurs the only problem is he signed a ridiculously long contract for uh, for his current circumstances so Spurs do have him a bit on that but I, I don't think Spurs could sustainably like maybe they could do it for half a season if he wasn't injured like they could do it from from autumn till Christmas next year, and but then there's a it's the World Cup is next. It's not this coming Christmas. It's the following. Is it the, no? It's the following Christmas. It's a, it's a year from a year from this Christmas. Um, so they can they can sustain it till then. But at that point, I I think they'd have to offload him because they'll need a goal scorer. They'll need the money. If he refuses to play, 
I think their goal scoring threat will generally collapse because there's only so much Son Mignon and other players of his ilk can keep their form going uh, without that kind of linchpin that that Kane has become in assists th- this past year. So yeah, yeah, I don't, I I see him, I see him leaving Spurs if that is his desire and wish, and he could well be at Manchester United come one year from now. Yeah, because really, if Tottenham like if they are going to lose Harry Kane, they need to do it where they can extract the most value out of him because he's so important to the actual team. Like as you mentioned there, he's not just a goal scorer; he's become a creative linchpin for them. Like you're you're completely right there. He's got I think the most assists in the league. He, he's he creates plenty of chances as well that they don't convert, uh, as well as becoming a as well as being one of the biggest goal scoring threats of any side in Europe himself. Like he scored plenty of goals as well. Um, as we've, as we've mentioned, so if if they're gonna extract the most value from him, it's gonna have to be this year because there's three years left on his contract. You know, the the Athletic piece actually went into it in quite great detail. Like he signed a six year deal mm. in in 2018, which I wouldn't have advised him to have done if he wasn't no. fully committed to Spurs. Which you know, at the time, I suppose he was. He was at the time. Yeah, he was at the time. It just shows like the danger of of how things can change so quickly. Um, even though it's been three years, that's uh, still pretty quick. Um, so really, like, if he'd only signed a four or five year deal, like, he'd be in a much stronger position there. Whereas, like, Tottenham can put up a huge price for him and say, "Well, you still have three years left on your deal. Like, you signed that, and you, you know, we're committed to that." And there's not a huge amount Harry Kane can do. Obviously, he could, you know, if he really wanted to, he could refuse to play. But I don't know would he do that considering his standing at Tottenham and standing with the fans. Uh, I think he has he... enough capital given, uh, like. Was a match of the day at the weekend, or one of the maybe it was Sky Sports that were showing it the Harry Kane statistics, and they were very much cherry picked to make him look better than necessarily other strikers across Europe. They had him as uh, the second most prolific goal and assist cre- goal creator in Europe, which is a very specific statistic they granted him but behind Robert Lewandowski at Bayern Munich. Um, but you know he's he's done that for Spurs. If it wasn't for that. It wasn't for his performances this season. Spurs would be languishing near the relegation zone. It would be another Chelsea the season after they won the league situation where Chelsea were where Spurs are just free falling. He has kept them in this top four title chance or top four title race. Top because that is a title. This top four race, um, almost single handedly along with Son and Young, and without one or both of those key components, Spurs would be nowhere. So yeah, they owe to him. What what was also interesting about that piece as well is that there's kind of assumption that Son would then stay, uh, that they wouldn't sell both of them, which would be interesting because it would essentially make Son the 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 key player of the team. Um mm-hmm. whereas normally up to now he's always been kind of a, a secondary man to Kane or, or someone else in the team. Um he's only really stepped up the odd time and he has done it well. So yeah. it would be interesting to see if he could do it over the course of a whole season. And then the 120 million as well is like, you know, Tottenham could do with that money. Like we've talked a lot about how, you know, yeah. they were one of the only clubs that needed a loan from the Bank of England. Um, you know, they've they've really struggled with COVID because of the the way that they generate revenue. They do it through their stadium and, and doing it like that was their plan anyway, was to hold NFL matches, concerts, conferences. Make a million pound every match as well in profit or whatever their plan was. You know, that yeah, was let, the... let alone the match day revenue of actually yeah. hosting Tottenham games. So like all of that went down the drain. The second fans couldn't come into the stadium and they've had that now for a year, uh, a yeah. year and change. So like that's that's really hit them where it hurts most. So like Harry Kane, obviously 
it's it would be a huge loss for Tottenham, but I think if they are to maybe grow as a club, they maybe would have to sacrifice Kane in that way. And I'm sure he, he sounds very happy to be that sacrificial lamb as well. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, like, there is, we've talked a lot about as well, about Holland and where he's going to go. I think there's a lot of talk about Lukaku as Walter well. Spurs. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of talk as well about even Danny Ings maybe could get a move at one of these top clubs. And there's other strikers around Europe as well, maybe even a Cardi. Like, there's a lot of striker talk around Europe this summer. So there's a lot of, a lot of dominoes that could all fall into place at some point. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see where they all fall. Yeah, like... The the thing like th- there is a return of that match revenue coming, so maybe that will lighten the blow for them. But there there's the other elephant in the room, and that's Jose Mourinho. And if Jose Mourinho is relieved of his duties come the end of the season, if uh, by chance Spurs do not make the Champions League and maybe don't even make the Europa League, would that change Harry Kane's mind? And I think it possibly could because he seems to have a a, a good connection to the club. He's been at it since he was cut from Arsenal, I believe, when he was a teenager. So he 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 has that kind of love for Spurs so maybe he will stay at the club for the rest of his career but yeah I, I think that the current management setup definitely has a has something to something to answer for when it comes to this problem even coming up for Tottenham Hotspur yeah and it was a tricky weekend for Tottenham as well after they lost 3-1 to Dubai United tricky weekend for Jose Mourinho because it was a former club uh, mm. what did you make of their performance in that game uh, well it was a bad match I think all in all I think whether that was by design, it was two teams who who play very similar football a lot of the time when they play against top sides, they play very reactive counter-attacking game where they're waiting for each other to to make a mistake, really. And and it was bizarre to watch Manchester United have so much possession of the ball against the so-called top team because uh, Spurs really did give it up to them for for a lot of the match and didn't offer a lot. Particularly a 1-0, uh, I should say, or should add as well. Like it was, oh, I yeah. They... It was like 27% possession or something like that between 1-0 and 1-1 which was crazy really and when you think about the context of the season as well where I think Manchester United have won I think it's 28 points now they've won from losing positions during matches uh, Mm -hmm. where they've been down by a goal or been losing to whomever in a match so you know of all the teams to do it against you do it against don't do it against the team that that's kind of their game plan there they want to be put under that pressure they want that jeopardy being to be dangled in front of them to make them actually perform they've shown us on time and time again this season that they that they they need that extra bit of motivation and and really spurs should have known that this was the maybe one of the few situations where they don't just let up entirely and maybe keep a player or two for it but even earlier in the match when you know spurs were just playing lump and long balls back from defense through like hoiberg was i thought was run ragged during parts of the first half um, where he was trying to do two or three jobs at once. Uh, M. Dombele was was any time he got the ball, he was he was stopped, and there was no one really giving him support or giving an out ball to him. Like th- there was a lot of like, what were you doing in terms of your setup of the match? The fullbacks never got forward in front of anybody else; they never really overlapped. And when you're really like, what are you trying to do against this Manchester United side? I know what they're trying to do; they're trying to expose their like wait for Manchester United to make a horrific mistake and they really did that Spurs goal that was that was amateur stuff that from defending I saw way before if you actually watch the replay back way before the ball is even played across the sun there is a gate there is acres I don't want to say literally acres but there is a lot of space available to Spurs players attacking and the Manchester United defenders don't know where anybody else is and I was like what's going on here 
it was as if they were carved open on a counterattack, and they weren't really. It was it was fairly like a slow moving ball, and then it just got completely destroyed. I don't know what you thought of that goal. Yeah, I'll admit I actually I missed the first goal just because I I had to walk away from the TV at that moment. But I did see the replay of it, and obviously Lindelof was the. Uh, it's not where he was. Yeah, like the it, it, like you're right. Like it was kind of amateurish with the way he just completely missed the ball, and then Wambasaka was out of position as well. It looked like, but uh, you know the that that first half I think was a pretty poor game. Like you know, obviously yeah. Man United had that goal ruled out. Like I think that was probably the slickest move of the half up to that point. Um, before obviously Vera chalked that off because of a, a Scott McTominay decision, and you know maybe there was an element of because the the Tottenham goal came like immediately after that, and maybe there was an element of they kind of thought they went one nil up and suddenly it was back to nil nil and they didn't react well to that. I don't know, mm. um, but I think they did react well in the second half. Then like they really came out and you know they really wanted to assert themselves in the game, and I suppose Tottenham let them do that. Like they Tottenham just kind of let Man United walk all over them. And like I think it says a lot about how poor Tottenham played when you see Fred kind yeah. of running through the middle like the way that he did. Like, you know, we've had a lot of words about Fred this season. You know, he's not a good midfielder um, for a side of Man United, for a side that wants to challenge for the biggest titles. Like maybe as a squad player, um, he could fill in for minutes here and there, but he's not someone you would trust in the big games and in the big moments. And he just waltzed through Tottenham's defence um, completely unnoticed. And one thing that really struck me about Tottenham before the equaliser of Tottenham's defence for that goal was that the second Cavani gets the ball off, I think it was was a Rashford at that point, at least one, if not two, Tottenham players immediately throw their hand up to say, offside, offside, it's yeah. got to be offside. Like, no, wait, like, they have VAR, first of all, clearly, yeah. because they've seen it be used earlier in the game. Like, they know this. Um, you know, if, if it is offside, it'll be checked. Secondly, you're a defender. Do your job. Like, you know, go... Get get to Cavani because like Eric Dyer, like the Athletic as well, uh, published a piece after the match as well that really illustrated just how easily um, Eric Dyer got pulled out of position by you know pretty standard forward movement by Cavani who just kind of swiveled around him uh, and Eric Dyer completely didn't notice, got sucked into the ball by Fred and Rashford uh, combining and then opened up a bunch of space for Cavani and then no one reacted to the shot either except for Fred who, <laughs> who then almost yeah. actually did it. Um, but then even at 1-1 I think Man United as well still looked the bigger goal scoring threat and I think ultimately they kind of deserved a 3-1 win for a finish um, you yeah, know, yeah. and it was probably their best performance in a while like they've not played particularly well for a couple of months now well Granada <laughs> you know yeah the, you know, but the fact that they played that well having just played on the Thursday night wow. and didn't play at all um, you know that's also a concern for Tottenham that like a, you know a pretty tired team was able to just kind of look as if they've had a month off and, you know, they looked more refreshed against yeah. Tottenham than they did against any other teams over. And, you know, especially after they, as you said, opened up Man United for that goal to take the lead. Like, it's just mm. another example of a Jose Mourinho side initially starting well, taking the initiative of the game, getting a goal, and then completely sit- sitting back and letting the other team back into the game. And they're just not good enough to to hold on. And then... I think by the time it was 2-1, I think it was always likely that Man United were going to get another goal over Tottenham at that point. And uh, it, I thought it was good for Mason Greenwood as well. Um, I think he's a player that struggled a lot this season um, after he kind of yeah. broke out last year. And I know he's had a lot of off-field issues, I know. And he was good friends with that uh, former youth Man City youth player that eventually um, ended his own life, uh, which was quite sad. And then 
there was rumors as well about him um, being involved in a very serious criminal investigation that was not yeah. true at all. Um, and then there's the whole stuff as well with him in the England squad yeah. and back in the England squad. So he struggled a lot this year. Um, and I think he kind of got the goal and the assist in this game that, that his recent form has deserved. So I thought that was good for him as well. Yeah, like I I agree that he's had a turbulent season and I I believe his his time in England, at least in the in the short term, is, is probably kaput. I don't see him going to the Euros via some kind of injury crisis. I think he's out of that out of that picture for the moment. Um, compared to last season, he has he has been a lot shorter in terms of his uh, output, and some of that's because you know he had the he had the wow factor last season being something new and fresh and not something that teams can plan against. But that that's kind of been put to bed this year, and a lot of teams can plan against that kind of deployment of, of Mason Greenwood. But, you know, back to, to Spurs and their ill management, you know, they, they weren't able to cope with him. They didn't put adequate marking on him or, or just kind of positional discipline around him. He he managed to pull the defenders out of position. He managed to go in between the lines and, and just do those short technical passes that he's good at. And and his excellent finishing, he put him to that position. He's probably not going to miss it. He's probably the, him and Bruno Fernandes are the two most precise players, I think, in the Manchester United setup. Um, to hark back earlier to to what you were talking about, Fred, like two uh, both Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer and Scott McTominay both made comments that you know it must be bad if Fred's getting in on the act, and it was like a use of getting in the act when he has a shot. Like, um, yeah, like I I've seen it been reported a lot that apparently Fred is kind of the butt of a lot of jokes at yeah, Maynard. The Claude McAuley, uh, you know, it's someone who doesn't even get near the box, let alone take a shot. Because if you think back to that miserable uh, nil game between Man United and Chelsea, Stafford Bridge, do you remember the moment when Fred took a shot about just thirty? Crack. Yeah, and it almost actually went in. Uh, did just mm. go over the bar, and you could see Solskjaer turn. Like I think most managers would have been like, "Oh, what the hell are you doing taking a shot from yeah. there?" Out to him, a Solskjaer started laughing at him. He gave him a big like, thumbs up. Well <laughs> done, well done, Freddie. Well yeah, done. that, that was like, very funny. Sometimes this happens, you know, Thomas Partey uh, took ridiculous shots the first few months he was at Arsenal and then it became a, a meme in itself uh, that he was, you know, he's a terrible sh- shooter of the ball. And now ever since then, Arsenal social media have been have been raging on about how every every training session it's Thomas Partey staying after taking shots. And since then he's been taking, he, he still hasn't done anything with those shots, but he's still taking them and they're slightly getting closer to goal. So maybe this will encourage Fred to keep on trying and to maybe take a few more shots if he does get more Premier League game time between now and the end of his career. Yeah, can't wait for him to score an absolute wonder goal in the Europa League. It'll happen. It'll happen, yeah. Uh, Um, But Jose Mourinho is terrible in in terms of his management. I don't know if you're going to go on to talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the comments that were made afterwards on Son Min Young. Um, Well, I was was actually going to bring up comments made before the game that I thought were quite interesting. Obviously, there's the whole, you know, Circus surrounding uh, the the disallowed goal that Man United scored in the the near the end of the first half, and Solskjaer kind of had a go at Son and kind of made comments that were similar to the ones he made about Eric Lamella after mm. the six one earlier in the season about referencing that he wouldn't feed his son if uh, if if he saw him doing something like Son did, which was a bit yeah. of a weird. Be no dinner then, for my kids if they did that. Yeah. yeah, and then Mourinho took it even further and took it extremely literally and uh, had a go and well, said. Uh, some very curious remarks as well. Yeah, but go on. I uh, go on and talk about the the remarks before the match because, but but yeah, I just thought that was Mourinho. It reminded me of uh, when a politician thinks of an anecdote that's relating to trampolines to distract from a global pandemic and thinks he's very smart about it. 
and just goes for it completely ignoring the fact that it was a stupid analogy in the first place and it's not something to nail your your colors to and yet Mourinho nailed his colors to the idea that Solskjaer literally does not feed his children if they disappoint him and yeah, how bad a father he must be like and then Mourinho turning into something personal it reminds me very much of the you know the stories in Jose Mourinho when he said oh Christmas was ruined and my father was sacked when I was when I was a child and he was in his 20s you know it's it, it's very much uh, diversion and lies, really. Yeah, which is why I didn't really want to give it too much attention either. Like it is, it is, it is a completely bad faith argument that you would see from. Uh, I, I don't want to make the direct comparison to Donald Trump, but it is very much in that ilk. Uh, you know, the kind of bad faith argument that you get, where you com- completely misconstrue, misconstrue. Uh, what someone says to make them look even worse or make them look terrible, which is uh, you know we don't want to encourage that in the world either. But no, the, but like Mourinho's a hypocrite. But we'll go on. Yeah, go on. Uh, but the the comments that that kind of interested me in uh, about this, and I, I might write about this on my newsletter on for Tuesday as well, if anyone subscribes to that. But um, the before in, nice little plug there, I know. But button down dot email slash dot com slash technard, I think is the URL for that. By the way, uh, <laughs> but uh, the comments he made it was initially Solskjaer who made the comments a couple of weeks ago. Uh, where he said that uh, winning a cup competition is kind of an ego thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he said uh, the cups are sometimes an ego thing for managers and clubs. It's not like a trophy will say we are back. No, yeah. it's a gradual progression at the top of the league. Sometimes the cup competitions can hide your progress a bit, which Mourinho yeah. then was asked about, or maybe he wasn't even asked about it. He, he responded to it anyway um, before this game on Sunday. And he said... Um, what was it he said? Uh, the big boss would have uh, a different opinion, uh, but I, I repeat, I believe his big boss and the biggest in Premier League history has a different view in relation to that, which I thought was very patronizing. Uh, yeah. You know that you know he, he Solskjaer can't do anything if it isn't you know something Sir Alex Ferguson thinks, and yeah. he has to follow him to the letter. He's not his own free man or whatever. And that um, you know obviously Mourinho then made the point like, oh, he does love winning trophies, and as we as we could see in a couple of weeks, he might win a. A League Cup trophy, and I think that really does kind of because Jose Mourinho was Man United manager before Solskjaer. I think it just shows the completely different mindset that's at the club now, and it has allowed Man United to get better than where they were under Mourinho. And and you know, I think this was a pretty emphatic result in in those terms uh, over the weekend because it just piled on the misery of Tottenham. Whereas Man United look pretty happy with their season now. I would say like they are probably mailed in on second, barring a. a catastrophic collapse which i don't think is going to happen you know i think you can say second for them is, is a decent result it's progress from that for them uh you know they finished third last year back-to-back champions league uh qualifications through league um league performance which hasn't been done since ferguson retired at man united so like that is that again is progress but no trophies um unless they do go on to win the europa league but i don't think the europa league makes or breaks um, Manchester United season, but I also don't think the League Cup final makes or breaks uh, Tottenham's season either. It is about whether they get top four or not, which I think I thought that was just an interesting contrast between the two of them uh, going into this match. Yeah, like it's always what is your priority? What is what is what you want to achieve? I have a feeling that at the beginning of the season, when when they set out goals with Daniel Levy, Jose Mourinho did not target the League Cup maybe as, as something they could possibly win. I'd be surprised if he did. And then, like similarly for, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, did, did they target Cup competition? Did they target League finish? And I'd say they targeted League finish. And if they get to second, I think that's as, 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 as good and probably exceeded expectations of being honest. 
um, let alone the fact that they're still in the European competition, maybe not the one they wanted to be in. But they're still in the possibility of winning a major trophy and probably getting the best league finish they'll have had, probably points total as well, um, since the days of Alex Ferguson. Well, then we should move on and talk about the the teams that are still in the Champions League. We'll start with Liverpool, who who finally won a game at home, a league game at home at Anfield uh, in 2021. I think it was their first goal in open play in the league at Anfield as well in 2021. They beat Aston Villa 2-1, having gone down uh, or having gone down 1-0. Um, but you know, it was a pretty poor week overall because they lost 3-1 in Madrid. Is that is that a result they can overturn? I personally think it is the result they can overturn. Like Madrid are. Like having watched Clasico over the weekend uh, in the wettest conditions I've seen in in a Spanish football match probably ever, just the, the torrential downpour that they suffered. The Real Madrid players were wearing see through shirts and and every yeah, it didn't it didn't really work out for them apart from the result that is. Um, but the the result is an overturnable one. I know in in, in this year it doesn't feel like it has been because you know in recent years games of three one that's not over at all by any stretch of the imagination. Like personally, I. I I know we're going to talk about, it, but I think Bayern Munich are, in, are, are still my favourites to go three out of that time. They're they're trailing not by three one, but they're still trailing going into the second leg. I think Liverpool have have a chance still. I you know I know there isn't going to be a crowd at Anfield. There isn't going to be that kind of epic atmosphere. But Man, um, Man City showed last year that Real Madrid are fallible. They concede a lot. They can concede a lot of goals. I don't think defensively they've improved that much this year. Um, I I think that maybe Benzema's in form, maybe Modric and Kroos are as good as they ever were, but everyone else in that team is completely susceptible to to mistake and error. And Liverpool, if they get go- their game going, and, and they seem to at the weekend, at least in in, spit, in fits and spurts, they can, they can punish any team and score a lot of goals. And they only need two. I I think it's it's definitely within the realm of possibility they can overturn this result. Yeah, and I was surprised at, at how that first leg played out. I was watching the, the Manchester yeah. City game at the same time, or not at the same time, I was watching it instead of the Liverpool game. Uh, I didn't really try double screen at all because it never worked out. But, the you know, keeping I was keeping tabs on it through Twitter and, you know, I was flicking over every so often just to check the yeah. score. I was always very surprised um, to hear that Liverpool were struggling so badly and it sounded like Trent, Trent Alexander-Arnold in particular had a, had a, had a particularly poor game which was quite surprising to me. Like, I know they've not been at their best in the last few months, but it seemed like they were doing quite better. And I did, I flicked over to RT for the, the halftime analysis and Richie Sadler made the pretty brutal point of, you know, Alexander-Arnold played well the weekend before in Arsenal and Liverpool played quite well but against Arsenal. But simply put, Arsenal are not of the standard of, of Real Madrid, which I thought was no. a pretty, uh, <laughs> a pretty brutal uh, side by on Arsenal. Yeah, um, it's true. But it but is, like, it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and and Real Madrid, like they, they show their quality in that game and yeah. Junior probably had his standout yeah. game in Madrid jersey as well. And Karim Benzema showed that it doesn't matter how old he is, he's still he still got it. So like there is yeah. a lot of quality. Tony Cruz as well. There's so much quality in that Real Madrid side. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't bet against him to score at Anfield either, which once they do that, yeah. it does make things very tricky for Liverpool. But if 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 you were to say to Klopp going into the tie, like a 2-0 win at Anfield will bring you through, I think he'd take that as well at the same time. Yeah. It's yeah. Very I, balanced. It's very balanced going into that second leg. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you entirely on Vinicius. He's, he's been growing into, the, like last season was kind of his kind of building into the, the it was like his introductory season almost to European football and it was really interrupted, obviously, as we all know. Um, and this season has been his kind of, he's starting most matches. He may not have been expected to, given Eden Hazard would be expected to come in there, but obviously he, Hazard is, is by the by at this point with his injury record. So Vinicius has really taken that on himself. And I, I'd say any fullback in the world would have struggled with Vinicius in the form he's been at. Like Barcelona's uh, right back, who I can't pronounce his name. He is one of the quickest right backs in Spanish football. I think he, there, was a, there was a dribble, there was a race between them playing for a long ball. Um, in the first half, I want to say, in, in, that, in that match, the Clasico at the weekend. And the Barcelona right back, who I can't pronounce his name, he's got a man bun, he's got a bit of a beard. He scored, I believe, against Real Madrid at the weekend. I still can't pronounce his name. He was clocked in at 34.5 or 34.9 kilometers an hour in his sprint against Vinicius. And Vinicius, with the ball at his feet, was clocked at 36, which is already faster than Erling Haaland, who um, clocked the highest, I think, something similar to speed to that at the weekend in a, for a dribble. So th- this guy is, with the ball at his feet, faster than the fastest player sprint in Germany this season. So like the, the guy is crazy quick and any fullback would be struggling with him. I think Liverpool made a mistake in maybe not doubling up on that side of the game uh, and maybe they thought that their offensive prowess would would overwhelm Real Madrid but then he underestimated Zinedine Zidane. Zidane doesn't necessarily set out his teams to combat the opposition. In a few occasions he will. He'll put you know someone on Lionel Messi. He'll put He'll do something to try and combat a specific problem. But generally, it's we're going to play our game. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, we'll lose. And he did that. And Vinicius is better at attacking than Trent Alexander-Arnold is at defending. There's no shame in that. It's just something that has to be thought of before the second leg comes around. Yeah, the 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 key part, I think, of, of that first leg was the battle between Klopp and Zidane. And it seems like Zidane did get the better of Klopp there because... Mm. 42 minutes into the game, Klopp makes his first change to take off Naby Keita for Thiago. And, like, it, it raises so many questions. Like, you know, why bring in Thiago? Why try change up the way the midfield plays? And then not play him in the biggest game of the season so far. And then at 42 minutes, bring him in. Like, why 42 minutes? Why not 45? You couldn't wait until half time. Um, oh, there's should... politics at play. Has to be politics at play. You don't do that unless there is some some optics you want to prove and I think it must have been in the point of Naby Keita that this isn't good enough and I'm not even letting you wait till half time before I change things I think that the, the reason he went with Naby Keita over Thiago is he wanted a running game in this match it didn't come to that really it kind of became Real Madrid are so clinical that you give them any chances they're going to put them away and like Barcelona suffered the same fate at the weekend dominating the games in large sway but still you know a couple of chances in Real Madrid score you know and that that's that's how things go I think you have to be a lot more controlling in your game and not leave as many counter-attacking opportunities open I think having Thiago in your in your team slows down football most definitely but at the same time it gives you more defensive solidity and more a, a more solid central three and I, I actually thought the, the classical on Saturday was actually quite entertaining yeah. <laughs> The rain, like the rain. It was probably one of the best classicals I've watched in a while. Like the one yeah. the first half of the season was all right, but it kind of tapered off by the end of yeah. it. And by the end, I think it finished one all for a finish. Um, so I, I, I think this is a very good classical, and it actually, it, I was surprised at the quality of both teams because they've been so poor at times this year. But I think that was a pretty, 
as weeks go, that was a very impressive week for Zidane to get a win over Liverpool and Barcelona. And like it just shapes up the rest of their season. Like they can actually go on and win the double now. Um yeah. if they keep playing like that, they they almost looked like they could win the Champions League again uh with that kind of performance, which is really not what I was expecting to be thinking uh in between leg going into it. Zidane um, mm. has the Midas touch, you know. There's a lot of play- people who underrate him as a player, and obviously we're all guilty of underrating him as a manager, but he does you know, tactically, he may not be the most astute guy in the world. He may not be cutting edge in terms of strategy, but he certainly knows how to win football matches and knows how to win trophies. I think La Liga is still wide open. I, I still think Barcelona could probably pull it through. The match did highlight to me that I think the limitations of Ronald Koeman specifically, and you can see, you know, Zidane isn't a tactical whiz kid, but he, he completely outwitted Koeman. And Koeman has so much good quality at his disposal. I think he's got a better squad than Valverde did last season. And, you know, and we know Barcelona last season, they did, they were poor in the end, but they, they did put a good uh, few games together that were impressive. Was it Valverde was the manager last season? They've completely... Valverde got sacked midway through the season and they brought in Kike Setien. Yeah, Kike Kike Setien, the same thing. But like, I think both Valverde and Kike Setien would have done a better job with these players because the, the tactics seemed to be passable to Messi and make Messi do something. It wasn't about creating overlaps, creating runs. Whenever they did that, they'd leave themselves open in defence so there was no capacity, there was no shuffling, there was no, there was no clear tactical plan to kind of keep the whole system going. And while Zidane doesn't offer a huge amount, he does offer that. He know, his players know where to go. Tony Kroos knows to cover left-back if the left-back goes forward. You know, uh, Luka Modric knows to tuck inside and close to uh, Karim Benzema. So if any knockdowns happen, he can get the ball and distribute it immediately. The wingers know to run on from Benzema as soon as he gets the ball so they can run in over the top. You know, none of the Barcelona players were doing that. And it does, you know, I I don't think Coleman is long for that Barcelona job, even if they do go on and beat the smaller teams between now and the end of the season and win the league, which is still a, a distinct possibility if Real Madrid do have these extra matches in the Champions League to deal with. And then in the the other game that was on on Tuesday night, Man City beat Bruce Dortmund two one, which is a, you know is a decent result mm. in the Champions League game, but it's no sure thing either. Like it's still pretty open going into the match on Wednesday, and uh, that that was an interesting game as well. Like I thought Dortmund started off pretty brightly, and then Emery mm. Chan makes an inexplicable mistake and yeah. put them open with their first chance and score. Um, but at one mm. 0 Dortmund they played quite well still. I thought they they stayed in the game. They got a bit lucky with um, Man City missing a lot of uh, guilt edge chances, and but they also got unlucky in the way that yeah. he, uh, his goal is allowed, which I think most people can agree should have probably been given, or at the very yeah, least. Yeah, I think that that should have stood, but when a referee makes a call like that, they have to stick to it. That's what happens. Um, we've least, seen them in the, go on. At the very least, he could have at least waited for Jude Bellingham to put the ball in the net, so the VAR could actually even just look at it, which I think yeah. would have satisfied people more than him and this is the guy who doesn't have VAR in Romania where the ref is from he doesn't have that in the Romanian league so that also brings the question why is he being trusted to use VAR in in such an important Champions League game and maybe UEFA will have to reconsider how they uh, allow Champions League uh, refs for the the later stages which would be a shame like it is good that we have refs from all over Europe even if we don't have teams from all over Europe in the final stages Uh, No I, I that ref in general did not have a great game, and which led to Jane Sancho as well making that remark on Twitter, which I believe is still up. Uh, yeah, like he he can say what he wants, his free speech, and in, in yeah, he can. I don't know if it's going to affect in future, and UEFA will eventually take uh, sanction against him. Like 
yeah, I agree. The ref did not have a good game. Maybe they should have been given instructions beforehand not to blow the whistle. Sure, they have, and but I honestly think some referees and and VAR would have been at pains to to overrule them. I think some referees just take ill judgment to those type of challenges, and I think this referee was one of them. I think he there there was a bit of rough and tumble in this match, and it speaks specters a lot of tired players, a lot of physically challenged players as well in 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 both of those teams that really do like to put in a tackle at times or challenge at times when they, when to kill play or to slow the game down. And I don't think that referee particularly liked it, and he didn't really stamp his authority on it quick enough so that it kind of got out of his control. If you compare him to the tie between Bayern Munich and um, um, PSG the following evening with uh, the Spanish referee, whose name I forgot, marshalling it, he did an extremely good job, and you couldn't really... It was chalk and cheese, and I think the matches would have... If they had uh, different referees, they probably would have been sending off in the Bayern PSG matches and the probably the scoreline would have been a lot different in the, the Borussia Dortmund uh, Man City match. Uh, but that's how things are. And I think Bjorn Kuypers is going to take charge of the, of the match, is he? Um, or is mm. he taking charge of the Real Madrid-Liverpool match? They're, the the big guns are out again anyway this week. That's all I have to say um, for for the these big Champions League matches. And they're, they're, they're looking to avoid uh, repeats of, of such decisions. I think Jude Bellingham's goal should have stood. But, you know, George Best did something similar well, a lot more cute than what Jude Bellingham did in the past and it got disallowed and it shouldn't have been. There's been situations where players have done much worse things to goalkeepers and they had stood. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, there's no consistency really on it and that's just kind of how the game has always been. So yeah, yeah you feel bad for Jude Bellingham in, in the circumstances, but at the same time, you understand why it, it didn't stand. Dortmund's problems have been and continue to be not their strike force, not their youthful presence up front, not their amazing you know experienced wingers and, and the likes of Marco Royce who scored a goal it's their defense Emery Chan is not a center back he wasn't at Liverpool he wasn't at Juventus he continues not to be a Bruce Dortmund but he continues to be played there and as well as Germany and it's no surprise that he seems to coincide with massive defeats for either his national team or an underperforming Dortmund side um, their goalkeeper isn't up to this requisite level and that their defenders are aged like Hummels is, is, is obviously a world-class player but he's aged at this point and their fullbacks don't really they're not at the top grade yet so I think all of that results in a, a misbalanced side and you know despite Dortmund's great uh, athletic prowess up front Man City I think will see this through Yeah like, uh, there's there's another world out there where Man City I think wins 4-5-1 just because they they get a bit, bit more clinical I thought Phil Foden in particular had a few and Phil Foden had a great game other than this he just missed a few chances that you know maybe a uh, a more experienced player might have put away or, or maybe on a different day he would have put away. But I thought this was a great showcase for a lot of young, uh, exciting talent like Phil Foden, who, again, I think had a really good game. Jude Bellingham was really impressed by it. It, it always blows my mind that this guy is still only 17 and he's playing in a Champions League quarterfinal. Uh, and he's actually very well spoken afterwards as well when he was asked about the goal. And, you know, he remained, he remained pretty calm and level-headed about it. Um, which I thought was very impressive as well. And the, Dortmund's centre-back, um, Akanji, I think is his name, I thought also had a, a pretty exciting game. You know, maybe defensively he could have been better, but I think on the ball he was fantastic, and I'd love to see um, what he could do with a bit uh, with better players around him, perhaps with a, with a better player, like a better player than Emery Chan around him, who, again, I think Chan really let the side down. Um, you know, he almost gave away a penalty as well that was eventually overturned. Yeah, um, still got so... booked, though. Yeah, I got booked, which was weird. I think ultimately they ended up just being like, ah, oh, well, it's a yellow for dissent. 
Yeah. Right? You know, which is even Saved then, blushes. It, it's still ridiculous because he was arguing for something that the ref then turned around and went, actually, Emery Chan, you're right. Yeah. Um, so it is, it's very ridiculous what was going on there. But Yeah, I would love him to be mic'd up because it would make decisions a lot more clear and then it would stop a lot of this you know, debate over what referees meant or what they gave something for. No one, like not a great, people do, but not a huge amount of people go back and read the UEFA reports afterwards from the referees about what happened and where and when, unless there is an absolute uh, golden decision that had to be reviewed. Um, but, you know, if we had someone mic'd up and said, yeah, you're yellow for the scent, or if it made it an easier world to cancel yellow cards, like, and to make that kind of, Make that okay because I feel that like referees feel that they feel that it undermines their authority if they get if they rescind cards for no reason, you know, or if it's just like okay, it was my mistake, I give it back. There's you would take a lot of um, a lot of humbleness for a referee to actually do that, and I don't think that exists in the world of referees. I can't imagine Mike Dean going around withdrawing mm-hmm. red and yellow cards anytime soon. And then just before we move on from City as well, they didn't have the best preparation uh, over the weekend when they lost 200 Leeds, a 10-man Leeds United mm. uh, to a last-minute winner. But it, it was a very much a second-string squad and they they were looking ahead to the, the match on Wednesday, right? Yeah, they've effectively won the league. I like. I think they would be disappointed and Pep Guardiola was probably pretty angry that they, that they couldn't convert something in this match. At the same time, I, I don't think they'd be losing too much sleep over it. Like, there, were, there was... Um, there was notions that, uh, whatchamacallit, that Pep would would overthink the oncoming match. And maybe he will do it and we'll know by the time you're listening to this whether Pep has actually overthought the whole situation and, and destroys his tie against Borussia Dortmund because of the Leeds debacle. But I, I think it'll be forgotten in a week's time if they beat Dortmund and they, and they march on towards the league. I think they're... Um, I think they're they're heading towards the league. I think in, in two weeks' time they'll have the league won if they if they win their, last, their next two matches. So, yeah, mm-hmm. there they go. And then the matches on Wednesday night, Chelsea um, bounced back from their 5-2 home loss to West Brom by winning 2-0 against Bordeaux and then 4-1 against Palace. But uh, what did you make of uh, Chelsea's performance in, in, in that uh, Wednesday night match? I, uh, impressive enough. I think it was a controlled performance. It was better than I was expecting, uh, to be honest. And, the, and they continue to confound expectations that I have of them against, against big teams. Like I think they've, similar to what happened with Leeds, they, they, they perform poorly in in league matches in recent weeks. And I thought that was, you know, uh, underlying, I personally thought it was underlying trend of showing what's in store for Tuchel's Chelsea. Um, but it turns out it could be like Man City that they're just preparing for the bigger matches and that's what they'll take. Um, so, you know, the, I, the jury is out on Tuchel. I, I still would veer towards the fact that he, he's not up to this type of level of management necessarily. Um, but I'm open to be proven wrong. And he's, he could well go on and win the Champions League for all I know. Yeah, like I thought Porto were actually quite good in this game. And I think mm. 2-0 maybe flattered Chelsea a little. Because um, like it was a very well-taken goal by Mason Mount um, before half-time. And then Ben Chilwell just went on a rampaging run. But I thought Porto did enough to score in this game. Like they created enough chances that one of them was value to go in. And it just didn't work out for them. Um, but it's probably beyond them now. Even though this match was played in, I think, Seville. Um, that's it was the home game for Porto, so it's two away goals for Chelsea. And well, I think a two-two nil away win has only been overturned twice in the history of the European Cup. Um, so yeah, but it's probably in the last couple of seasons. You see, I like anything is possible, but uh, yeah, I I don't see Porto having the firepower to to break through this resolute Chelsea defense and and 
believe me when I say this is going to be a defensive Chelsea performance. I do not think I famous last words, but you know the last the last round of fixtures, Juventus Porto was the match to watch uh, in the second round uh, uh, or the return legs, and I don't feel that Chelsea Porto is going to be the the match to watch this time. Yeah, fortunately, uh, it'll be on the same time as the match to watch, which I think will be yeah. the Bayern Munich PSG game, which uh, that was a manic game played in snow, snowy conditions. Heavy snow, yeah. Uh, fair play and... to the camera people in the end because they, they struggled for a part of the first half trying to get the 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 um, contrast and the saturation correct so you could still see the game. But by the time the second half came around, the torrential snow did not stop, but you're actually able to see the game again. Like it was finally a good use of the yellow football, I suppose. Yeah, and it, it was quite weird to see. Yeah, it, it is. I don't think they even used the yellow football, actually. They probably should have used the yellow football. But it was quite bizarre. Like, it is April, and we're yeah. getting snow on a, on a Champions League quarter yeah. mile. It was, snow, not... it was snowing in Sheffield United against Arsenal as well. It, uh, like, it, it's snowing it, in the north of England at the moment. It's just not what the brain associates with these images. Uh, you know, no. we associate it with the day becomes night, and it's quite warm, and the players are... You know, don't have to wear gloves. The referee doesn't yeah. have to wear gloves uh, and a long sleeve. So it was, it was quite unusual, but it was an unusual game as well. Like obviously, it was the final last year, and I think it was a very different game. Yeah, to the final last year, like both teams really went at it. I don't think both teams are as good as they were in the final. Um, They're but, missing yeah. a lot of players, and they miss even yeah. more during the game. You know, um, I think Pochettino had a much better game plan than Tuchel did in the final. I think he he knew the weaknesses of his teams, and basically, it was it was similar to what. Um, Real Madrid against it against Liverpool, if you, if you will, and they they left one of their quickest player Mbappe, in this case Vinicius in Real Madrid's place forward, and just left him let him cause havoc as as the ball broke to him, and you had your most technically gifted players in in Real Madrid's case like Kroos and Modric, and in PSG's case you had uh, Neymar sitting deeper and kind of distributing the ball to to other runners like Draxler or other players like that, and and they took great advantage of it, I think really Bayern and, and as it turns out maybe it was intra, in, injury that, that caused it but like Sula didn't have a good game for when he was on I think two goals went in when he was on on the field and both goals he was suspect a little bit on I think um, Neuer definitely made a mistake for the first goal he wasn't expecting a shot I don't think he was warmed up enough and I think yeah Bayern would be kicking themselves for the, the both the um, both the, the chances they conceded the goals they conceded and their their poor finishing up front I think if Lewandowski was playing I think the chances are that match could have finished 6-2 but as it did it finished 3-2 to PSG yeah and it really leaves the tie open like you know uh, 3-2 and away 3-2 win in the Champions League usually is a, a pretty safe bet but I wouldn't say so based on how that first leg went like I could easily see Bayern Munich clawing their way back into that game and at that point I think it becomes very even as to who actually goes through and it's very open in a way that I'm very excited to watch on on Tuesday night. It should be a very good game. Yeah, it is. Hopefully, the the tie of the round, and I not that the winner will necessarily come from this tie because I think the Champions League as itself is is open this season for whoever gets into the semi-finals. But I, I definitely, if Bayern come out of this, they would be my strong favourites to win it again. It, like Lewandowski was running there today. I, I saw Bayern Munich releasing you know social media footage of him. So. I don't know how close or far away he is from... Did he travel to Paris? Did you know? Do you know if he traveled to Paris? I'm not sure. Um, uh, no. But yeah, like Chuba Motang isn't Robert Lewandowski, but you know, if, if Leroy Sané can get a bit of form going for himself, if 
if Bayern can keep a settled midfield, because I think that, you know, losing Goretzka so as early as they did really struggle, like hampered their defensive shape. And I think that probably led a bit to that second goal, along with Sula's like poor positioning. And that turned out to be injury as well. So, you know, we'll see if, if, if Bayern are a bit more solid defensively and have a bit more nous about them up front. I, I think they could definitely get a few goals against this PSG defence because Marquinhos is out. I, I think Kaylor Navas is a, a goalkeeper that can be beaten if you if you if you at this stage in his career. And I think the the holding defense of, of PSG isn't what you need to be to be a to be a European Cup winner. And yeah, we'll we'll wait and see. But yeah, it it should have goals in it if nothing else. You can go for stats. That's that's the way people that don't understand football analyze football is with stats. I don't go for stats. I don't go for stat. West Ham United beat Leicester City 3-2 on Sunday afternoon. The Hammers currently sit in fourth, one point off Leicester, with seven games remaining for both teams. Chelsea, Liverpool, Tottenham and Everton are all hovering outside the top four places and are ready to strike at the first sign of trouble. As the season draws to a tense conclusion, let's look ahead at the remaining games and predict how we think the league table will play out. So uh, how do we see... Let's look ahead to... The upcoming games, I suppose Everton um, have played by the time uh, this will go up, I'd say. So but I how do you think Everton anyone. will do in that match? <laughs> yeah, that, that's an interesting one. Brighton keep taking the lead and then losing anyway uh, in games, which might be what happens in this. Um, Everton got, unfor- I think it was pretty unfortunate. They they probably had one of their better performances of the season uh, in recent times anyway against Crystal Palace last week, and then they ended up drawing for a finish anyway, um, which was a pretty bad result for them against the Palace side that just seemed to lose to everyone at the moment. So that's set them back. Um, but this this Brighton game, I think, is a good chance for them as well. Brighton probably safe at this point, even though it is still like six points from six games for them. You'd probably back them to be safe. So Everton should be looking at this as three points. But let's look ahead okay. to, to next weekend. And, and where do you think uh, these games are going to go? Everton play Tottenham. Um, what is it? Uh, and then where are they? No, what we'll do uh, is we'll start with Leicester. We'll start with Leicester. That's okay, what we'll, we'll do. Leicester play West Brom. Um, they actually have the FA Cup up first against Southampton, so they don't play until, I think it's next thir- or Thursday week. Yeah, the um, 22nd of April. So Leicester, West Brom, win, lose, or draw. We just do that. Uh, Leicester What win. do you think? Leicester win. I agree. Leicester to win that match. So uh, on Monday, the 26th of April, so only four days later, so they've played three matches in, in a week, basically, or in eight days. Uh, Leicester playing Crystal Palace again at home. Crystal Palace on the beach. I'm not expecting a lot between now and the end of the season from Crystal Palace, if I'm being honest. I think that's a Leicester win. Do you agree? Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree as well. They're okay. not too bad fixtures to play for them. Considering mm. like, Leicester are in bad form at the moment, right? Like they, they did beat Man United in that FA Cup quarterfinal, but like Jamie Verdi's not scoring goals. They've had issues off the pitch as well with players going to house parties and yeah, well like they're in the squad and yeah the they're a team well last year yeah they're a team that that you know they do have that baggage of last season the complete collapse of last season which does have caveats lockdown football injuries this season they're missing a lot of players through injuries there's players making stupid mistakes and then there's the case of them losing 3-2 to West Ham away from home when they leave three of their most important players out of the squad because of disciplinary issues to do with COVID lockdown precautions and watching a league of their own as Roy Keane said um, 
I think they're they're not helping themselves in the matter. But you know, given the how strong they looked and how performing they were, even with Jamie Vardy's out of form, Clatchini and Nacho has scored a lot of goals. I think he scored eight goals now in the last two months, which for a guy who doesn't score a lot of goals historically is quite a turnaround for him. And I think Leicester are, are playing better, and I think they they know that that last season happened, and a lot of the players were there last season, and they want to avoid that if at all possible. So I think I would I personally fancy uh, Leicester to beat Crystal Palace as well, or Southampton as well on the first of May. Yeah, Southampton as well. Like they're a side that are probably safe as well. Um, like they've actually got a pretty those next three games look much better than I was thinking based off the result mm. on uh, on Sunday because that was a a bad result for them that if they'd won, yeah. we probably wouldn't even be including them in this conversation. Now suddenly, like I suppose we should also mention just how close the table is now. Like um, Everton have two games in hand as of recording, but they're only eight points off West Ham and fourth, nine points off Leicester in, in third. That if they win those two games, um, they are right up in the thick of it. Tottenham yeah. uh, are, are on 49 points, Leicester on 56. Then you've got Leicester on 52, or Liverpool on 52. Chelsea 54 and West Ham on 55 so like it mm. is really close there so if Leicester do win the next three games like you would like how like obviously we'll go through the teams but like I, I wouldn't back all of these teams to win their next three games basically is what no. I'm trying to say so like those, yeah. those would be a massive uh, massive nine yeah. points but their the last few games are pretty tricky aren't they yeah but before their last three games they have uh, another visitor to King Power Stadium in Newcastle United a team that well could well be safe by that point a team that do not play great football and a team that bar them fighting for their lives and getting those wins like they did at the weekend against Burnley I don't see them putting up a huge amount I think they'll be on the beach similar to Crystal Palace and I think that might be another win for Leicester City yeah like that's maybe the one that they're most inclined to draw just in case Newcastle aren't safe at that point yeah Okay, we'll give them a draw then. I think that's fair. That from their next four games, we expect them to get ten points. Yeah, and ten um, points would still be really good for them, given their recent form. Yeah, and then we have the last three games of the season, which is where the tough things come in. They have trips to Old Trafford to be play Manchester United three days after they play Newcastle, so that'll be a tough a uh, couple of days for for Leicester City. And then uh, four days after that, the weekend after that, then they have to play go to Stamford Bridge down in London and play Chelsea. A Chelsea side that could be fighting for Champions League as well at that point. So how do you see those two matches going? Yeah, that's interesting. We should maybe come back to the Chelsea one and, and do mm-hmm. Chelsea's pictures first um, and see where they Okay, we'll do Bottle well, Manchester United then. Let's the see Man United Manchester game, United. that's at Old Trafford as well. Like Leicester yeah. have been better on the road, might not have been worse at home. I could see that one being a draw as well. They drew yeah. in the season. I uh, I I would normally, given the the statistics, I would say that that's a Leicester win. But given that you know Brendan Rodgers is this weird thing against Manchester United, especially as Leicester manager, or even if Leicester are in really good form, they seem to underperform against Manchester United. And I'm not expecting Leicester, given the injuries they have, to be playing outstanding football at that point. And given how last season went as well against United. I think draw is probably the best they could hope for there. And Man United will be away at that point. They'll either be still, you know, saving players for Europa League final or semi-final maybe still at that point and maybe resting players. So it mightn't be the highest priority. So I think a draw is fair. Yeah, so let's let's move on to Chelsea then, I suppose, because we, we brought yeah. them up. Their their next game is... Um, who, who are they playing next? So Chelsea Bright, is... Brighton next. Yes. They play that, so they're uh, playing Brighton in, on the, like this coming Tuesday, next week. Tuesday, Tuesday uh, week, yeah. Um, at Stamford Bridge, I can't, I can't see this go anywhere but Chelsea. 
I think Brighton, you know, I know you have a soft spot for Brighton, but I don't think a great deal of their way, their ability to play football and their ability to really compete at this level. And I think Chelsea will make them pay for that, especially at home at Sanford Bridge. Brighton is away record. Uh, you know, I know it's been up and down this season, but I don't, I don't see them winning this match. I think that's a Chelsea victory. Yeah, I do think Chelsea will win this as well. I don't think um, it'll be that... I don't think it'll be easy for them. Like, I think Brighton will give them a better test than most of the teams Chelsea played under Tuchel have. Like, they played in the first game of the season um, all the way back in, in August or mm. it was September. And uh, again, Brighton lost that game 3-1, but on another day, for much of... You could say this is about a lot of Brighton's results this season, but on another day, Brighton could have maybe got a result out of that one. And, and Chelsea, I think, were quite fortunate to go away with all three points there. I do agree that I think they'll win this game, but I think it'll be it'll be a tough one for them. Yeah. Following that, then, we have the first of uh, another one of these clashes between top four rivals. We have West Ham playing Chelsea at the London Stadium. I really, given West Ham have a great record against Chelsea in recent times, they, they've, they've really overperformed almost against them. I would veer towards West Ham in this match. I don't know what you think. Because yeah, uh, I suppose we should bring up that West Ham play Newcastle in, in between that as well, um, which is another interesting game. Like if if they can get six points from those two games, like that's a huge step towards actually getting into the top four, which we should also recognise would be ridiculous for West yeah. Ham to actually finish in the top four. Uh, you know, would be hugely impressive. Yeah. You know, I well, think if, if they if they can get four points from that, I think they'd be very happy though. Yeah, like I'd be more given. You remember earlier in the season, West Ham actually lost to Newcastle, so I'd be of the opinion that you know a draw for West Ham in that match would be a good result. I know they they peppered the Newcastle goal a lot in that match earlier in the season. It was it the first match of the season. Mm, um, yeah. so yeah, there was a there was a lot there was a lot happening there. But mm, whether West Ham can convert, you, you know, they they've been suspect in recent weeks in terms of they 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 start great, they score some goals. And then they concede, and then they almost get pegged back. They almost it almost it happened against Wolves, happened against Arsenal, it almost happened against Leicester. You know, do will they have enough to carry them through uh, with with all the walking wounded they have? You know, Mark Noble is likely to be out now, and you know what's going to happen in centre midfield? They're going to be playing kids there effectively now, so I think things are going to start getting a bit tougher for for West Ham. I think the derby against Chelsea, maybe they can raise it a bit. There's a lot of there's a lot of you know prestige at, at play then, and I think maybe that. Yeah, four points between these two games for West Ham, and I I think it might be a draw. What or what or what do you think for this Chelsea West Ham match? Yeah, you get an agreement on it. I think four points from I think a th- three against Newcastle, one against Chelsea is a, a distinct possibility, and I think that would be a pretty good return mm-hmm. uh, for them there. I think I'd agree with that. Plus three for Newcastle and plus one. Okay. The next, the next uh, match for Chelsea. Then a week later, after that, is the first of May. They're playing Fulham at Stamford Bridge again. Local derby. Fulham. This could relegate Fulham. I think this is a Chelsea win written all over it. Yeah, Chelsea historically always kind of beat Fulham. Like we, you know, you mentioned it's a rivalry. It's 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 not really. It's more like a big brother, little brother. One-sided. Yeah, they're on um, the same area. You know, that's kind of. Yeah, like Chelsea have often even historically loaned out. Uh, Thomas Callas was one that went out for years to to Fulham, and Fulham graciously mm. accepted. Um, you know those those random cast off loanee uh, type that that Chelsea were so famous for. Yeah, which I don't think you would get between Chelsea and West Ham, say, which is I think a more genuine uh, derby rivalry there, even though they're further yeah. apart. Uh, yeah, which is another edge to that that Chelsea West Ham game as well. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So after that, then we kind of have a couple of weeks where Chelsea need to actually, it's, it's important that Chelsea get these wins before this because now they have a few weeks where they're playing, you know, top tier opposition. So they have first up, they're traveling to the Etihad to play Man City in a match that likely will crown Man City champions, uh, depending on results elsewhere. Uh, if Man City do manage to win the next few matches and, and beat Chelsea at the Etihad, it would be my understanding that they would be too far ahead of Manchester United uh, at that point to be caught um, in three matches time depending on how results go this could be the match that decides the league and gives it to Man City and for that reason I think it has to be a Man City victory what do you think? Well like if you cast your mind back to what was it nine months ago or ten months ago now it was Man City had to beat Chelsea to stay in the title race and they lost Mm. Um, so you know maybe memories of that will will strike uh, you know Thomas Tuchel and Pep Guardiola they, they have they met that often? They would have met it when Pep Yeah, was it was mostly Pep that Pep had the edge usually. Like there was a few cup games that Tuchel won, but Pep usually had the edge. Yeah, back when they were both in Germany. I don't think mm. Man City ever played PSG when they were both managing them. So I, I I'd be more inclined to think this could be a draw, but uh yeah, I think I think I Man City are more likely to win that one just because it could yeah. give them the but we all, there's also the edge that um, both of them could be in between Champions League games or getting ready for Champions League games at that point as well. I just, um, I still Man City win in the league. They have to you know win it at home, win it against Chelsea. It would be a big day, and I think they they'll make sure of it. And it, it, even if their Chelsea were still involved in the Champions League at that point, I really do believe that it would be you know tools more likely to rest players and to sacrifice league. We've already seen them do it in the league uh, than than necessarily Pep would be. Um, so I, I would I would push out the boat here and say that's going to be a Chelsea loss. Okay, we'll go with the, we'll go with the Chelsea loss. So, um, what so a few days after that, then Chelsea welcome Arsenal to Stamford Bridge. Will there be revenge for the, the defeat of the Emirates earlier in the season, or is this something that Chelsea will just suffer again? And like I'm, given how Arsenal have been in recent weeks and how their season could go between now and the end of the season, I I. You know, on on paper, I think Arsenal should win this, given you know how they they had Chelsea's number earlier in the year, but you know they're still Arsenal. They got wiped the floor with uh, by Liverpool last week, so I I I don't know. I I was veering towards an Arsenal win, but I can be I can be convinced otherwise. What do you think? See, I think the fact that Arsenal at this point will, unless something goes horribly wrong on Thursday night against Slavia Prague, which is possible, is, yeah, that that could definitely happen. I could see it. it would- shock me they they will be preparing for a much more important Europa League game uh, against what is it potentially Unai Emery's Villarreal which yeah. would be a massive massive game much more important than any match against Chelsea could possibly be especially with Arsenal already out of this top four equation uh, mm-hmm. and I'd probably have to give Chelsea the edge in this game because at this point you know the Chelsea will know whether they are how they're faring in terms of getting to a Champions League final or not, and maybe they'll have to switch focus again back to the league and and go all in um, and keep 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 in touch with Leicester because the way things are going, they've already lost a bit of ground to Leicester, um, so they they need these three points. And I think Arsenal might be uh, willing to roll over for them because they've got bigger fish to fry out in yeah. Europe. No, that's fair. I'll give them to that. So Chelsea will win that match. Next up, then we have a, a tougher. Tougher though, and this is why we're, we we delayed the hearse one. Leicester against Chelsea at Samford Bridge. Three days after they play Arsenal, so they're going to be tired. 
what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, this is this is a tough one. Like, of course, Leicester were the side that that beat Chelsea that got Frank Lampard sacked. So maybe there's an element of uh, you know proving proving the doubters wrong potentially. You know, Leicester had that big game against Man United last season on the final day, and they lost. Um, so that was mm. that was also pretty crucial. Like that cost them top four last season. So there's a lot of there's a lot going into this game of proving people wrong essentially. Brendan Rodgers as well as history with Chelsea worked yeah, there. Yeah, used to work there. Mourinho. Um, this this is a big game. At Stamford Bridge, I, the only thing I'll say is Leicester have a much better away record than they do have a home record. Mm. Um, but they did like, lose in London at the weekend. You know, that's the, true. Like they I did uh, claw back two goals. They they the probably thing, only need a draw as well. Yeah, like I'm I'm more inclined to go a draw or a Leicester win because the you know Chelsea will be playing Arsenal. A few days beforehand, I know Leicester don't have a, a, a much easier schedule than, than Chelsea, but, you know, the Champions League is, is a factor in this. Um, so you'd imagine Leicester would be slightly fresher uh, for this match. And as you say, they want to avoid last season happening again. So I, I, I'd be OK with a draw on this match. And I think the two teams, as Mick McCarthy would say, if he offered him a draw, now he'd take it. Yeah, I think, I think a draw is a fair result for these two. Um... And then... Uh, the final game of the season for um, Chelsea on the 23rd as it's currently scheduled whether it happens on that day or not I'm not sure uh, they're travelling to Villa Park in Birmingham uh, to play Aston Villa Aston Villa who have had uh, con- considering their, their amazing first half of the season their second half of the season isn't turning out to be that good I think they're well not on relegation form they are kind of returning to a mean uh, I kind of see this as a Chelsea victory if I'm being honest they have a bit of a break. They'll probably know whether they're in any kind of a European final at this point. Uh, and they'll be either riding on that or a lot of the players will be playing for their future in terms of are they going to be in Trujillo next season. Uh, so that's why I think it'll be a Chelsea win in the last game of the season. Yeah, I think that as well. And based on where we've got Leicester's results as well, like they should still be within touching distance of Leicester going into that final day. Yeah. Um. So I think, I think a win here because it's so important and they, they should they should have a gap to a Champions League final if they're in it or the fact that it's the final day of the season you kind of go all out yeah Um. you know tiredness shouldn't be that big of a factor when there's so much yeah. on the line they should have a week uh, ideally yeah. between this and their previous fixture Um. okay so that's that's Chelsea done next we we'll, might as well go into West Ham we've already said they're going to beat Newcastle United this coming Saturday at St. James's Park uh, then we said that they're going to draw with Chelsea the following week um, at the London Stadium at home. And then they're playing Burnley up at Turf Moor. How do you see this classic going between Burnley and West Ham? The, the clash of the Claret, if you will. God, yeah, that's that's going to be... Uh... That's, it's going to be a classic, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'd give it three points to West Ham here just because I think Burnley at this point, like there's a lot of... Uh, they're on the talk. beach. There's a lot of talks as well that Sean Dyche might be out of the club at the end of the season. They're under new ownership. I think there's a very much, they're in a holding pattern until the end of the season. So I think this could be a pretty handy fixture for, for West Ham now, especially after the draw that they potentially get against Chelsea. Uh, and even if they lose to Chelsea, I think getting three points here against Burnley is a pretty, like that's that's a pretty nice uh, follow-up to a, to a disappointing result yeah. if they lose. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with three points for West Ham on that one, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm just to get away from Turf Moor, we'll do that. Uh, the following week then, they're playing Everton at home. Now this, 
fixture has a history, and uh, for that reason, I believe that Everton will actually win this match. Uh, because I, I do not think that um, West Ham can beat it. They just have this block of beating Everton, especially at home, uh, by some crazy circumstances. Uh, they tend to have just mad matches with Everton. I think there'll be goals in this. I think it'll count for Everton. It'll, it'll matter to the rest of their season. And I think uh, West Ham will, you know, the big teams, they'll have a couple of weeks where they don't have to play anyone outstanding. Well, I suppose they're playing Chelsea, but they'll have a couple of easy games and then they'll be playing uh, a tough match against Everton. I think they'll lose that match. What do you think? Yeah, obviously there's the whole stuff as well between David Moyes getting involved, you know, former yeah. Everton manager for so long. And uh, yeah, I could, I could, I could see that happening. Like you're right, West Ham don't have the best record um, against Everton, so um, that could even, you know, are we at the territory where there might even be fans in the stadium at that point? Maybe, maybe, um, maybe we'll see. Sure. So yeah, that could be. Uh, that's not going to help at London Stadium. That's no, sure, it's so. not. Uh, um, yeah, so that that'd be three points as well for Everton as well. Um, yeah, they're still in this conversation. That would be a big. Yep. Three points for them. Um, you know, we'll come to Everton. We, we're, we're nearly done. I think the, la- the last three fixtures of West Ham then are going to be very, I think they're very winnable fixtures. Uh, first up, they're going to the Amex to play Brighton. I, I know it's, it's only three days after Everton, so maybe they'll be a bit depleted by it. But again, going back to the previous discussions about Brighton, I don't think they're all there. And I think this should be a, a return to victories for West Ham. Uh, and then what are their last two games as well? Last their last two long. games then against West Brom, who will likely be relegated, and Southampton, who if they're not already on the beach, they definitely will be by that point. Um, West Brom, mm-hmm. I can see that being a win. I know Big Sam might have something to say about it, but I think that West Ham will be in a, a, a pattern that they could actually qualify for the Champions League. So they'll be all out at that point. I think that's a win for them in that match. And then in the final day of the season against Southampton, I, I think Southampton will be done. So I, I I am thinking that that is a a win for West Ham as well. What do you think? Uh, yeah, that would be that would be some run. It would, yeah. Three. Well, it's only three wins in a row. That's all we're saying. We're saying they're going to lose to and three wins. That's I think the, it's them to be doable. There's there's a lot of pressure on them at that point, and you know we've definitely seen teams in the past get in the position and then fall over the line and and not get. there. You think there. they'll draw that one of those matches? If they were to draw one, I think it'd be that West Brom game. But uh, I could see them winning all three, and I think it, you know it'd be fair enough to, okay. to give them the three points in all those games. I think the West Brom one there is the trickiest one, just because uh, Big Sam is a petty man. We'll, we'll put it that way, <laughs> and he's definitely yeah. got a history at West Ham. Um, so that's that. That, would, that those seven games, if they like, that would be sixteen points from seven games. Like that mm. would be. We don't quite yet know if that would be enough. Uh, based on how Liverpool, Tottenham, and Everton do, but that would be that would be enough to put them ahead of Chelsea on current form. We've only yep. given them fourteen points, um, and we haven't done Leicester's final game, which I suppose we should get to when we we go through Tottenham's fixtures next. Yeah, we may as well go through. Well, do you want to go through West uh, Everton since we've already started with a bit of Everton? Okay, yeah, let's go. And since I've already pulled up Everton, we have Everton oh, yeah. are a bit screwed up because they have extra matches to play, so this will be a bit longer. Uh, so first up, they have a confirm- to-be-confirmed match against Aston Villa. Um, we- well, we may as well go, actually. Right now, at the time recording, we don't know the result of this match, but they're playing, they're playing- Everton are playing Brighton. So who are Brighton or Everton going to win that match? Yeah, Give me your uh, knee-jerk reaction. Everton are going to win that one. I- okay, Everton victory. Yeah. Then they are playing Spurs. 
this coming Friday night, uh, presuming it hasn't been rearranged due to any funeral preparations, Everton are welcoming Spurs to Goodison Park. This will be Spurs' first return to fixtures after um, the the humiliation, really, against Manchester United. Uh, how do you see that match going? I think Everton are going to win it again. I think they're actually going to string two games together. Just because... Wow. Yeah, I know. Uh, because Tottenham have been so poor, I think there's a lot of negativity around there. I think Harry yeah. Kane coming out and basically saying he wants to leave is not going to... I think that could lead to a pretty disastrous end of the season um, mm. for, for for Tottenham, especially because they've got the League Cup final to prepare for as well. Um, yeah, I, I could see Perfect. that being, a, being an Everton win um, just because I think they've got players coming back now into form. Like As I said, I thought they played quite well against Crystal Palace and got unlucky. Um, mm. And, you know, they know what's on the line here as well, Everton. Like, Carlo Ancelotti is a very experienced manager. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. And uh, I, I I trust him to do to do uh, Mourinho in this game like he did in that FA Cup game. Yeah, I agree. Like, I was more... Before you said that, I was thinking this is like just because Spurs are Spurs and they tend to bounce back after bad defeats to win the next match. But yeah, I, I agree with you given the argument you've given. The following Friday then... Um, Everton travel again to London and they're going to play Arsenal. Um, it's not a fixture that Everton traditionally do well in and that might be no. a Moisean effect over the long terms. But um, how do you see Arsenal against Everton going? Yeah, well, it's impossible to suggest that Everton can win three games in a row. I um, think so. At best, it's a draw. <laughs> they're physically capable of it. So yeah, I think a draw is a, is a fair result here. Mikel Arteta is a former player of Everton. Yeah. Um. Nice little story there for him. I think he'd he'd like to get one over Carlo as well. Uh, I think that would be a scalp for him, mm. and they they should be able to be well rested enough at that point by uh, Europa League games. They'll be on a bit of a break, I think. There. Yeah. So um, and it's a Friday night before maybe a Thursday semi final. So I think they they can go all out for this one and get a nice home win for themselves, or maybe maybe at the least a draw. I guess. Yeah. yeah we'll put a draw on, or we'll put it. We we'll put a loss in because the following week they're. Draw or loss? Draw or loss? To pick one there. Uh, we'll go with a loss. Okay, loss there for, for Everton against Arsenal. The following week then we have Everton are welcoming Aston Villa. So this is a match where, yeah, As- I, I, I can only see this really being an Everton victory at this point. I know it's a bit of a downer on Aston Villa and they've, they've done so well this season, but I think that the, their legs are catching up to them. Maybe Jack Reilly should be back by that stage. Maybe they'll, you know, and I mean back to form, not just back. Um, maybe there'll be a bit more about them, but I, I think their goals have really dried up defensively. They've been excellent this season, but I don't. That can only take you so far. I think this is a, a home victory for Everton. Okay, I'll, I'll agree with that. That's a solid argument. Um, at Ooh. some point in this time, it's probably going to be that week. They have to play. I think they're playing Aston Villa. They have to play Aston Villa twice in a week. I think that's one of the postponed matches. Uh, both league matches so what we do one win and one loss <laughs> or what we do maybe a draw um, like I think Aston yeah a draw value for a draw like you know I don't think I don't, I don't think you beat a team one week and then immediately lose to them I think maybe a draw is a fair assessment of that so the next one then we were saying they're going to play against West Ham and we said that was going to be a win for Everton over West Ham just for historical reasons um I, I think that's still fair just because things are crazy and West Ham have the propensity to just do mad stuff against Everton and Everton seem to be, that's the only London side that they they seem to consistently get results against. So I think that's uh, that should be an Everton win. Um, 
and then the following few days later, they're 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 that three day gap they have between the eighth and the Tuesday, and they're probably going to play three days as well in another time the two matches against Aston Villa. But they're playing Sheffield United at Goodison. I I cannot see this going anywhere but a but an Everton victory. Yeah, Sheffield United at that point. I think uh, just to give me three points for whoever they're playing uh, based on the way their season is completely unravelled. Mm. So I think three points is pretty fair for Everton there. So the second last game, the penultimate game for Everton this season is against Wolves. It's at Goodison again. Wolves will be on the beach if they're not already at this point. I know that's a phrase I'm using a lot, but there's a lot of teams mid-table that are not really battling for anything at all. They're in no danger of finishing below 15th and they're no risk of finishing above 10th and, and Wolves are in that group. The, the soft centre, as I heard it referred to earlier. Oh, the, that's a good one, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the teams that just don't really care what happens. Yeah. I, playing I, for pride. Exactly, and you know, given that it's Everton as well, I'm going to put a draw in for this match because I think Everton are due to like screw something up. They can't win yeah, that many I'm... matches, and we need to keep symmetry to their results this season because the final game of the season for Everton is away. The Etihad at Man City, whether Man City oh. get the trophy that day or whether the Lordy have had it, I think this is a defeat written all over it. Maybe a heroic draw at best, but I think you know, especially if if Everton have. A chance at getting top four, then they're definitely not winning. Is basically the way I see it. Like I don't see them having the the capacity to know something is on the line and then take it because yeah. it just seems ingrained in the club that they're basically I think they, capable yeah. of that. I think they could be in pole position come like the match, like come the night before they play against Wolves with two matches to go, and then screw it up and and get one point from their last two matches when they only needed three points to clinch Champions League qualification. Something like that will happen to them. Um. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to put a loss down for that. Do you agree? Yeah, I think that's that's a fair assessment. We do have them to get 17 points in that uh, that nine yeah. game run that they have, which would be decent. Yeah, um, it would, but it wouldn't be enough for Champions League football, <laughs> I don't think. Um. So yeah, our final our final challenger, I think, unless I'm wrong, is Spurs. We haven't done Liverpool as well. So we oh, of course, Liverpool. Through. We need to get through these. Uh, so go with Tottenham first. Okay, Spurs first. We'll go very quickly through this. There's a couple of, of overlaps, so we should be able to take care of those very quickly. So Everton against Spurs. We said that was going to be an Everton victory, so that's a loss for Spurs. Uh, next up then, they're playing Spurs are going to Southampton or are welcoming Southampton to the to White Hart Lane. Southampton on the beach, as we say many times before. I think this is the when when Spurs start winning matches again. And I think they'll win against Southampton in that match. Yeah, I agree with that. Then the following week, they're playing against Sheffield United. Again, I think this is a home win uh, for Spurs. I don't think Sheffield United have much hope in, in that mm. match. Uh, a week after that, then, they're playing in Leeds United away at Ellen Road. Like, like uh, much McCollum, um, Mar- Marcelo Bielsa, he plays the football that Mourinho loves. He loves welcoming on that wide, expensive game and to crush it and, and destroy it like a little can of Coke. So I I feel this could be a Spurs victory. I don't know. I'm I'm open to correction on it. What do you think? Yeah, especially at that point, like Leeds, I think will be a bit tired from the whole. They're on the beach, there. if you will. Yeah, not necessarily because I don't know. Does it be burnout ever ever really no, yeah. go on the beach? But uh, yeah, burnout I think is a more worrying factor. I think I think Leeds have kind of got their big win of the season. Maybe they also beat Man United, um, but I don't see them. I don't see them beating Man City, Tottenham, and Man United uh, to finish their season. Yeah. I don't think and finishing tenth still, yeah, it's, yeah, kill them. Yeah, I don't think they physically can can withstand that. So I think 
you know, based on what happened in Boiler Lane earlier in the season as well, like you're right, this is a matchup that just suits this Tottenham side. And, you know, they, they'll be needing three points in these games at this point because they've already started on the back foot. Absolutely. Um, if they do lose that Everton game. So who's next? Mm. Wolves is next then the following week. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, they're getting an extra rest over other teams um, because most teams are playing th- two games in three days. Uh, Spurs are getting an extra couple of days rest to play on Wednesday against Wolves that week. <laughs> like Wolves do have a good record against Spurs. They have made them work for. I think they did. They beat them earlier in the season with that Podence, and if I remember correctly, um, Wolves again. We we've made the comment many times that they'll be on the beach, but they have to get a result in one of these matches. Do you think this will be? Uh, this is the one I'm more inclined to say could be a, a, a either a Spurs draw or a loss. I think a frustrating draw. It, yeah, it a disappointing draw, if they will. Yeah, like a late equaliser, having led from the opening five minutes. Yeah, like, where Mourinho then comes out and lambasts the the rest of the side, and he maybe yeah, it's all Davison and Sanchez's fault as as ever, even yeah. though he keeps getting picked. Um, okay, then the following week or three days later, rather, uh, they're playing at home, Aston Villa again. Aston Villa to to use the old uh, cliche are on the beach at that point. Uh, how do Spurs do in that match against Villa? Yeah, at that point, like I think the only people that might be showing up for Aston Villa are those looking to get in the England squad, which is primarily Jack Grealish, and yeah. I suppose Ollie Watkins as well. Maybe Ross Barkley if there's been an injury crisis. Yeah, um, that's that's possible. And you watch McCollum, the defender. Um, yes, you're right, Tyrone Mings. Yeah. Um, so, like so. there, I there is there is members of that team still performing. Like obviously, Emmy Martinez, one of the revelations of the season in goal. Um, but yeah, I. I what do you think? I think a, probably a Spurs victory I'm looking at there. It'll be a poor game. Harry Kane with a goal, probably an assist as well. Where is that match on? It's on at uh, White Hart Lane. Yeah, like, Villa showed up and played quite well at White Hart Lane last season. They were a much worse side then. Mm. But that was also Pochettino's um, Spurs at, the point, at that point in time. So I think the fact that Villas do still have a few players vying for England spots might, might be enough to convince them to yeah. go for um, which might lead to another kind of annoying draw for Spurs. Yeah, it's a good game that Gareth, it's three o'clock on a Saturday. It's a game Gareth okay could attend, you know. Yeah, okay, we'll go for a draw on that match. And then their final game of the season, which is my match we've revisited already and didn't come up with a conclusion for Leicester City at King Power Stadium. This could be the decider um, for both teams' efforts to get into the Champions League. How do you see it going? Yeah, like right now there's six points between these two teams in real life, in the real table. Uh, not mm. a pretty good one. At this point in time, they've both picked up uh, roughly the same amount of points. Leicester picked up one more. So by that standard, Tottenham are out of the top four race at this point. So I think that maybe helps Leicester get over the line and get a win in this game. And it's it was only a few been... years ago when, when Tottenham lost 5-0 on the last day of the season. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe also the game that is the last we see of Mourinho in, in English football for a while. Uh, yeah. It would so you be think quite that... satisfying for Brendan Rodgers to cast Mourinho aside from the English game as well. Yeah. Um, and if you remember last season, one of the closing games of the, of the season was a match at White Hart Lane. It wasn't. It was obviously the reverse of this last season. And Leicester were going for the Champions League and Tottenham were just painfully uh, destructive. They were just wrecking everything breaking up play and then I think I think Tottenham did win that match on a counter-attacking goal and we're just you know there was nothing Leicester could do about it and I think that'll still be fresh 
in Brendan Rodgers' memory as he goes into this match and hoping to, uh, you know, right previous wrongs. And for that reason, I think I think I'd agree with you. I think Leicester could come out as victors in this. Yeah, and then that just leaves us with uh, Liverpool to go through. What are their fixtures like? There's there's not a lot of leeway. They're going to need a perfect run here. Yeah, I think, and you know, the the reality of the situation is if Liverpool pull together any type of form, they could indeed go on a perfect run. But anyway, we'll start. Assuming the Champions League goes off and they they don't they don't lose any players' injury, and you know whether they're in or out, they're playing Monday against Leeds United, Elland Road. It's an old, it's an old rivalry, really. It's it's not been much of a rivalry in recent decades, but in in history, it is an old rivalry back to the seventies. How do you see it going? I earlier in the season, it was a pretty entertaining match, and the, it was the opening day of the season. Liverpool came up on top that time. Do you think they have it in them again? Yeah, that's another one. I we already mentioned the Leeds have uh, Man United and Tottenham coming up, and now they have mm. Liverpool as well. I think that's a very tricky end of the season for them, and uh, I. I back Liverpool to win this one just because I think again it probably like Bielsa saw will probably suit Liverpool we've seen Leeds not have the best um, performances uh, in those big games except for obviously that Man City result hmm. so um, I, I would back Liverpool to get the win here then they're playing Newcastle United the following week I, I, I just see this as a Liverpool win written all over it. it's at Anfield Newcastle could be safe at that point we don't know. It's unlikely they'll be mathematically safe, but they could be confident of their of their positioning at that place in time. And I think Liverpool, it's the first game of the weekend. That weekend, they'll have to set out their stall. They'll have to win that match, and I think they'll win it. Yeah, it's but you know, there's a bit of um, I suppose also where like the, the, there's going to be a bit of revenge against Newcastle because they were one of the teams that really yeah. frustrated um, Liverpool in that poor run, and they finished nil all, I think. Mm. Um, to James's in, Park, yeah, James, James's Park. So I think that there's an element of uh, just kind of letting that go and and just completely pummeling them. Like this could be a, a bloodbath if uh... we could see a lot of goals in this match. Is what you're saying? Yeah, I, I would back yeah. Liverpool to win that one. Yeah, I I would agree with you. Then the following week is when things start getting interesting. They were playing against one of their bogey teams, really, in Manchester United at Old Trafford. At best, I can see this being a draw. I. Uh, you know, United could be clear at that point. They could be well ahead in second place. They could be preparing for a Europa League semi-final. Or they could be basically out of the out of everything and just sitting in second place in a in a holding position and could really go for Liverpool in it. What do you think will happen? I, I regardless of whatever Man United are doing in a season, they with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in charge, they're not going to ever rest players in a game mm. at home against Liverpool. I think they're always gonna give it everything and you know remember last year when Liverpool were at their absolute best Man United were one of the few teams that did actually frustrate yeah um, uh, Liverpool at all psychologically time, there's some there's some barrier there for Liverpool when it comes to Manchester United I could see this being a brutally boring nil all draw again uh, between these mm. two uh, a draw is the, the result that I see most uh, yeah I, I, I can't see it being much better for Liverpool than that just because of their psychological hoodoo in this then the following week, they'll have a bit of respite because poor Southampton have to go play them. And Southampton are playing most of these teams. And I think that's going to be a Liverpool victory over Southampton. Revenge, if nothing else, for earlier in the season when Southampton were one of the clubs that... You remember, remember Ralph Hasnoodle dropping to his knees, crying. Mm. <laughs> and then every other team in the Premier League proceeded to beat Liverpool as well. So it didn't really mean as much after that. But at the time, it seemed to mean a lot to Ralph. 
Yeah, that was kind of the end of uh, Southampton's season in a way, other than the FA Cup run. Because yeah. they, they, like, even as of recording now, I'm sure it'd be amazed to hear that West Brom are beating them 2 0. Um, 35 minutes in so uh, things are not going well with Southampton I think this could be no, a they're lucky they have handy. the points they have already yeah yeah and they, they, they've they been unlucky with injuries as well like you know yeah. so you can't they, there's unlucky and then there's losing by nine goals you know yeah there's, there's there's a lot of circumstances around it but they have been poor as well as the, mm. the kind of the main point like so yeah I think this is three points for Liverpool and then the following well three days after that Liverpool travels to the Hawthorns to play West Brom I, I don't see Big Sam coming out with a victory in this match. It's a it's a Tuesday night game, eight o'clock. It's chances are it'll be snowing and frosting. Who knows what it'll be like uh, in, in in the eleventh of May? But um, yeah, I see this again being a Liverpool win. I think they'll 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 be motoring at this point and, and working their way towards the end of the season. Yeah, I'm just I'm just tallying up the the points here. It is really close, even yeah, in, in their predicted table. So I think it is. I think it's going to be very close. Uh, four days after that, then they're going. To, they're traveling to Turf Moor to play Burnley. As we said earlier, I think Burnley will be. They'll be a tough side still, but Sean Dyke's future is is uncertain. A lot of the players, as a result of that, probably will be uncertain. I don't think they'll have the motivation for it. As we said, they're on the beach. I think this is another Liverpool victory. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of. I think Burnley almost have a, an unfair reputation for being a tough place to go. Mm. Um, when really, actually, a lot of the big teams tend to go to Turf Moor and get three points. Yeah, it's um, away from home that Burnley actually do better than you expect them to do. Yeah, so I think that's that's a pretty big three points and and in going into the final game and uh, the final game of the season is against Crystal Palace. Oh, <laughs> at, perfect. Yeah, at Anfield, they have history in recent times. They have history in in long forsaken times. FA Cup semi finals, nine nils. Um, Obviously, the three-all draw in, in Brendan Rodgers' season that he nearly won the league. You know, there, there's a history there, and I think this could be Roy Hodgson's last match as a as a as a top-level manager. Um, but I still see it being a Liverpool victory. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's maybe the perfect uh, final game, especially if they are the ones to kind of end Roy Hodgson's career. That would almost be. Uh... Poor Roy uh, Hodgson. It, it would be the, the right way for Liverpool. Liverpool fans would enjoy that, I think, given uh, the history there between the two of them. So uh, that would almost be symbolic of uh, of uh, Liverpool kind of putting putting something to the sword there, just a, a buried ghost potentially um, to, to get into the top four. That would be uh, that would be a big moment, I think. Poor, poor Roy the boy couldn't going out, going out at Anfield as well. That would be a poor, that'd be a sad way for him to go. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe things could be different, but I don't think they will be. Um, so with that, we have completed our predicted results. So now let's look at the Premier League table, and uh, it's close. I've, I've been, I've, I've been doing it up here. So you, you probably got it as well. It is very. So who close. do who do you have in eighth place? Uh, I've got Tottenham there on sixty one points. Tottenham getting 11 points is what I have from their last yeah. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, seven. matches. Their last seven, seven matches, matches, I have them getting 11 points and that's only good enough for 8. They will still have beaten out Arsenal, I believe, for, for the, the top 8. But yeah, it's, it's... While we have in there that Spurs will win 3 in a row and probably be undefeated for 5, we still have them losing a couple of important games. And it's just not enough. It's too little, too late, given the given the results they've had this season, and given the performance they've put in when they've been in winnable positions. Uh, that's eighth place for Spurs. 
In seventh place, then Declan, we have. Uh, it's pretty close. It's uh, going to have to go down to goal difference here from from here on out. It's sixty eight points for Everton and sixty eight points for Chelsea, and Chelsea probably have the greater goal difference unless Everton absolutely pummel a few teams. No, uh, like yeah, um, Chelsea are by far the better goal difference. I think it's currently yeah. nineteen to three, and even if you know we threw in a good five, a few five nils for Everton in there, I don't think they're going to catch up to. Uh, to be a relatively better goal difference to Chelsea. So we have Everton finishing in seventh, yep. and we have Ch- Chelsea finishing in sixth. So now we're getting into the nitty gritty. Who do we have finishing in the Europa League spot this season? Well, it will once again come down to goal difference because oh, we've oh. got all three remaining sides finishing on 71 points. 71 um, points, one of the lowest ever for uh, a top four since the top four became Champions League spots, obviously. It's one for of the lowest. Place, yeah, certainly. Yeah. For fifth place, it's not too bad. For third place, that 71 is quite low. Yeah, like, well, I know Manchester United, I think, won the league one time with 68 points. So the things do happen. But yeah, it's 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 pretty low uh, result for everyone. So who do we have currently? Who, who are our three contenders and where are they currently on goal difference? So right now, Leicester have a goal difference of 18, West Ham have a goal difference of 12, and Liverpool have a goal difference of 16. Mm. Um, Liverpool do win more games, um, so you'd probably fancy them to overtake Leicester on goal difference there, unless Leicester yeah. or 9-0 win. Um, but then again, Liverpool also play Southampton in this running game. So <laughs> They do, and Liverpool have the propensity to score three to four goals a match. They can do it. Yeah. We know they can, if they're on song. So um, I, I I would give it Liverpool third there. Um, Liverpool third place, yeah. Um, then, then in fourth probably, place we have yeah. This is where it gets interesting because you have a West Ham team who do not score a great amount of goals and they do not keep a great amount of clean sheets. Uh, but the goal difference isn't massive, so a couple of a couple of defeats for Leicester could see them, you know, drop down if those defeats are bad. But we did not predict one defeat for Leicester. So that would mean think at the very minimum we would have a plus one, two, three, four. We would have plus four for Leicester. So that would mean their goal difference would be 22. And at the very minimum, we have it as one, two, three, four, five. So plus five, which would give them up to plus 17. So we have Leicester City snatching from the jaws of defeat that uh, top four place. Yeah, and I think Given the way the season's gone down, I think that would probably be a fair reflection of where everyone's been. If if, if would that be like soul that. destroying for West Ham if they finished fifth, but they finished better off than Chelsea? Yeah, that would be interesting. West Ham would finish the season as the best side in London, which uh, yeah. probably hasn't happened since the eighties. Uh, yeah, it's going back a long time since they were the best side in London. Probably whenever they finished second was that eighty? Was it, it was, eighty six? It was 85-86 to finish third is their best ever okay. league So um, yeah. it would be going back that far probably since they were the best side in London. And that would be a huge achievement. Like Obviously, given that they're in the top four race, it would almost be disappointing. But I think fifth place for West Ham would be a hugely remarkable um, and impressive achievement for them. And the way that we have it planned out, I hope it, plans, I hope it plays out in any way like that. That, was, that, that is a really exciting um, mm. last seven. I, I think seven it's going to be close. Like before, beforehand, Declan, you had us do um, do tables out of of how we predicted things were going, and while my table came out slightly differently in terms of its makeup, I did have West Ham making the top four. I did have it be separated by only three points between uh, 
fourth place and uh, indeed seventh place. So you know that it. It could go a variety of different ways, but I think, yeah, it's going to be very close as we roll into the last few weeks of the season. Yeah, and, you know, I'm I'm actually really excited for right now. I think this is going to be, uh, obviously, a top four race isn't quite a title race, but it is. It's um, the best we can do, Davis. It is, yeah. We have to take our wins where we can get them, and I'm really looking forward to that. And we'll be right here, I think, to, uh, to discuss all of it as well. And uh, That hopefully will be good. We've got Champions League as well going on, and Europa League as well is usually quite good at this point. So I think we're pretty well set up. Like there's even a lot and to talk about this week as well. There is. And do you even think that Trent Alexander-Arnold will make the England squad? Who knows? Yeah, that's tr- that's truly the biggest uh, storyline yeah. be- between now and the end of the season. And that's the one that we will be analysing probably for two hours next week. Um, yeah. Because no doubt there'll be that much material to talk about. So uh, until then, thank you for being here, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Declan. And we'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget to tell your family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. The show can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. You can also subscribe to my own Substack at declanhart.substack.com, where I publish two weekly newsletters that will often go further in-depth on topics discussed during our shows. Those pieces can also be found on Medium at medium.com slash at cheesyheartbun, H-I-R-T-E. You can also follow Andrew on Twitter at Kanban27 and myself at cheesyheartbun. Most of all, thank you for listening and we hope to be in your download feed next week too. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.